An internet search for United Structures of America turns up a photo of a steel beam and a photo of a factory. Its name evokes a feeling of American patriotism and blue-collar graft. Its acronym, of course, is USA. It was a steel fabrication facility near Houston, Texas. But under the two photos is a red banner that says permanently closed. The business was founded in 1980 and provided jobs for more than 400 people. How does a business that once thrived by manipulating steel to its will have to call it quits? Well, steel, for all its renowned strength, can't save you from hackers. Well, first, I had a false pretense that we had backups and everything was backed up. This story is about a CEO who tried his best to rescue United Structures of America. He was left with little choice, and it drove him to corners of the internet, and even corners of his own town, where he'd never been before. But that's why it was a no-brainer to pay the ransom. The ransom was two bitcoins per computer. This is The Ransomware Files. I'm Jeremy Kirk. In this podcast series, I'm exploring the impact of ransomware, which is one of the greatest crime waves to ever hit the internet. Schools, hospitals, and companies have fallen victim to cyber criminals encrypting their data and demanding payment. But technology professionals are fighting back, and they have stories of resilience and fortitude. Dane Drake took over as CEO of United Structures of America when he was just in his early 30s. He was taking over a family business, or to put it more accurately, it was a business belonging to families. There were two families who founded it around 1980. Due to retirements and deaths, the business came under control of their descendants. By that time, it had seven partners in all, which was a somewhat numerous plate of stakeholders. Plus, many of the 450 employees were either family members or extended family members. Here's Dane. You look at payroll and you may have 450 employees, but we may have only have 30 different sets of DNA. He's uh, mostly joking. And as with any family, they had their share of relationship issues. My brother-in-law has a joke. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas is when you leave, leave your friends and loved ones behind to spend time with your family. Um, <laughs> United Structures of America designed and fabricated what are called pre-engineered metal building systems. Think airplane hangars and even schools and churches. It's one of the most economical ways to build a structure. Dane even designed a hangar that now stores drones for the U.S. military. When Dane took over the business, it was an opportunity to employ technology to bring it into the modern age. So we were, the second generation was really trying to bring on technology. Um, prior to us being involved, there was virtually no technology. The machines and equipment were manual. Um, to be honest, it sounds crazy, but not till I joined the company after leaving the university, there wasn't even an email at the time. This was in 2000. I mean, that's how archaic it was. Dane was looking to see how technology could help him improve the business's bottom line. 
that included improvements such as integrating the accounting software with manufacturing to better account for costs and expenses. That also would help understand how revenue flowed through the business on a daily basis. Real-time financial data. Dane estimates the business was 10 to 15 years behind in using technology to improve its operations. But there were obstacles. Longtime employees bristled at change. And then we had a culture where people were nostalgic of previous times that were good, but just didn't want to advance and see the world as it changes. Um, and you just have to. You have to change. You have to evolve new customers, new ways of doing business, new ways of invoicing, new ways of customer service. And it, and it was very difficult. As those improvements were taking place, Someone else who wasn't an employee was inside the systems of United Structures of America. In fact, that person had even created their own administrator account. Lurking, watching, waiting. At the end of May 2019, the company and Dane were looking forward to a three-day Memorial Day weekend. When he came back to work, he booted up his computer and saw an odd note. I mean, it looked like child's play. It didn't look real. It was just kind of a basic Microsoft font, bold letters. I mean, it just, it kind of looked like a silly message. Um, but I couldn't get through the screen, so I couldn't log in. I said, well, this is, this is pretty serious. He unplugged his machine and disconnected it from the network, hoping that it was just his computer. He went to an adjacent office and looked at the computers there. Same message on the screen. His IT administrator, who lived outside of Nashville, helped with shutting down the company's servers in hopes of preventing further infection. Dane put notes on the entrances of buildings warning not to turn on the computers. About half were infected by ransomware, but half had been turned off before the long weekend. And then um, once I started getting my head wrapped around the issue, then it was deciding how bad this was. And the biggest gut punch is when I was focused solely on the PCs, but the CNC equipment in the factory, I found out, was also hit. CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control. This meant that the factory computerized machinery had come to a full stop, and that led to another problem. And so that's when I realized I had, you know, 350 men with nothing to do. At that point, Dane had to think. The company had installed a backup system not too long ago. He thought if they could just roll back to backups from a week prior, they'd just lose about a week's worth of data. So overall for the year, that would amount to about 2% of lost data. Not great, but you know, not terrible. But there was bad news about the backups. We had the hardware, all the equipment. It was just never initiated. So what kind of conversation did you have then with your IT manager? Did that go kind of like, well, we've got the backups, right? And he's like, uh... He was confident they were installed and working. And and, and, and by the way, not maybe a month or maybe two months prior, we had talked about it because the backups were, were a recent purchase and upgrading from a previous backup system. You know, I was asking, how does this work? Let's back up. Dane patiently waited for a few hours for an answer. I don't know what the exact timing was, but three or four hours later, you know, I asked the IT department, how's the backup going in total silence. 
Dane explains what happened. They had backed up a, a blank, another blank storage device. So backup was backing up blank, if that makes sense. It, it was just directed to the wrong, wrong drive. Pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty tragic situation. The gravity and impact of it slowly sunk in. It wasn't until the following day, I'll tell you how drastic that was, when I realized I didn't know what my accounts receivable was. I didn't know what invoices I had outstanding. And then it realized, if I don't know what invoices I have outstanding, I don't know what payables I have. I don't know who who and what I owe. So the ba- the books are totally off, you know, off balance. That was just not a good situation. Of course, everybody you owe money will, will call you. <laughs> everybody owes you money. <laughs> doesn't always work the same way. He needed to understand the company's finances in order to rebuild and understand the ongoing cash flow needs. United Structures of America did more than $100 million a year in revenue, so every missing week of data could represent $2 million or more in business depending on the time of year. Other members of his team had been in touch with the hackers, who had planted a type of ransomware called Mr. Deck, which appears to be short for Mr. December. But that's why it was a no-brainer to pay the ransom. The ransom was two Bitcoins per computer. At the time, Bitcoin was bouncing around the $10,000 mark. So paying to decrypt everything would have been millions of dollars. So Dane made a strategic decision. So I selected two computers that I thought I could um, rehabilitate. And, and one of the computer systems was my accounting system. Um, and so I thought I could back that up. And another system was my production details that were required for the equipment, the machinery. Nothing else had that much value. Decision made, they needed five things, around $40,000 in cash and four Bitcoins. Dane's not a technology novice. He was online in the 1990s when the commercial internet took off. He'd built PCs when he was younger and used bulletin board services on a dial-up modem. And by the time of the attack against United Structures of America, he'd known a bit about Bitcoin, but he wasn't sure where to buy it. So he went on the internet. He landed on a website where people sell their Bitcoins directly to other people. They accepted payment for the Bitcoins via Western Union wire transfer. This uh, wasn't the uh, safest option, of course. There didn't appear to be much of a guarantee that the Bitcoins would come after the money was wired. The money was going to places like Medellin, Colombia, and Palestine. It was, as Dane says now, pay and pray. So Dane went to the bank and withdrew $40,000 in $100 bills. And if you're curious, that's around a pound of money if you waited, or 400 grams in the metric system. How did that feel? Did you ever have uh, $40,000 in your hands before? No, I hadn't. And... um no, I had never. I mean, you know, you, you see wire transfers and ACHs and bank statements, but uh, and checks, but you don't. You know, it's just I'm just not of an age and time where you carry forty thousand dollars cash. The bank was curious about his withdrawal. I do remember, not that I'm quick to lie, but um, the bank teller asked me what it's for, and you know, everything was going on, but I realized. And I'm sure it's a standard banking practice. They asked what it's for, and there's a camera there. And I said, I'm, I'm buying a car, and the person only takes cash. And I don't know why. It just came out so fast and so easy. But the last thing I want to say is I'm, I'm wiring money to a guy in Medellin, Colombia. Luckily, the Bitcoin came through without issue, and then he transferred it to the hacker. But there was another problem. 
Bitcoin's value had gone up overnight, so he actually didn't get a whole four Bitcoins back from those transfers. After he sent them off to the hacker, the hacker wasn't happy. The person wanted a full four Bitcoins. Dane had to come up with more Bitcoin to make that last Bitcoin a whole one rather than just kind of a fraction of it. I didn't have the full one Bitcoin that I needed to give to this guy. So I had to go to a Bitcoin ATM to subsidize the rest, which was which was fine. But I just remember being at a very shady store, putting $20 bills into this little tiny ATM that's the size of a footlocker, thinking I have no idea how this works. There were two Bitcoin ATMs in Dane's area. One was at a large bus stop in downtown Houston. For personal safety reasons, Dane didn't think it was a great idea to take a bunch of cash there and feed it into a Bitcoin ATM. So he chose the other option. I happened to be at an adult novelty store. Um, so I said, you know, let's go. And I went and <laughs> it was the South Main Love Boutique. I'll remember this till the day I die. <laughs> He drove there. It was 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It was closed. Dane was desperate. The hacker wasn't going to wait. I needed to get the Bitcoin quickly to the person. There's a phone number on the door, and I called the number. <laughs> the guy answered. I said, hello. I said, is this the owner of the South Main? He's like, yeah. I said, I need, I, need, uh, I need to get into your store. He said, I've never had anybody call me at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. To- the owner showed up and had his breakfast while Dane was at the ATM. The owner was curious what was going on. And he asked me, he said, are you in trouble? I said, I mean, personally, no, but yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a bad situation. I need a Bitcoin right now. He said, okay, I figured that's what it was. You're not here for whatever else he sells. The transaction took a while, so Dane chatted with the owner of the Love Boutique. Then Dane's friend called, who was a criminal defense attorney. He said, hey, I don't mean to get your business, but your wife called. She's a little concerned. Are you in trouble or... Uh, do you need anything? I said, no, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it later. If you want, let's, uh, let's grab dinner tonight. And he said, sure. He said, where are you? And I said, I'm at the South Main Love Boutique right now. <laughs> and, uh, he said, that's not, not what I expected. I said, I'll tell you all about it. The owner of the boutique was sympathetic. Yeah, you know, I'm sitting there talking with the proprietor the whole time. And I gave him the whole story of what was going on. And, and uh, he was interested and, He'd have given me a bunch of CBD products uh, for my for my issues. CBD stands for cannabidiol, and it is the active ingredient in cannabis that has therapeutic uses. It's not the stuff that sends you in the clouds. He gave me a bunch of gummy bears for all of my sorrows. Three or four hours later, the hacker sent the decryption keys. And it worked. It worked. So uh, um, what I got really helped me start piecing back things together. I got skeletons of the financial system. I got skeletons of drawings and schematics. But even with the decryption key, not everything worked out. He couldn't recover the account receivables and outstanding invoices. Uh, the information I had gotten was more of a balance sheet and you know past records, not current situation of the, uh, of the um, company's you know, finances, which historically was good. But it just wasn't, uh, you know, I needed to know the snapshot of, again, what I owed to my vendors and what my customers owed to me. Um, and that was very difficult. So I, I have no idea. I can't even forecast what I left on the table by not trying to figure out 
what was invoiced. I mean, the way I was trying to do it was going through old paper receipts of trucking's uh, bill of ladings to find out what I may have shipped to various people. But I didn't have a value of that shipment. Um, so because that was that was destroyed. All of that was held electronically. Dane didn't have cyber insurance, but the company hired consultants to help rebuild systems and also figure out how the attackers infiltrated the network. United Structures of America did have contracted IT server support, and it ran antivirus software on machines. But none of that was enough to stop some of the well-known vectors for attack from being used. The incident response team figured out, within an hour, a likely explanation for how the hackers came in. The hack came in through my IT administrator's personal laptop that he had opened through remote desktop into the company servers. And uh, his password was the address, the mailing address of the company. Ah, a weak password and the notorious RDP. RDP stands for Remote Desktop Protocol. It's a protocol created by Microsoft that's used for remotely accessing systems. It's also one of the most favorite ways attackers get access to an organization's systems. A common method is to start by scanning the internet for RDP gateways. Then there are various ways to break in. Exploiting software vulnerabilities in remote access software is another. Also, ransomware actors can buy login credentials for RDP gateways from dark web vendors known as initial access brokers. Those type of hackers often just specialize in stealing login credentials, often by leveraging large botnets. Another way to get into an RDP system is to start guessing what might be the right combination of username and password. The security situation is even riskier if the RDP account hasn't been set up with multi-factor authentication, or MFA. MFA requires entering a time-sensitive passcode in addition to the username and password. Although there are ways to get around MFA, it's still the best way to stop most attempts at recycling usernames and passwords. Also, the administrator's password, which was the mailing address of the company, was a dubious choice to say the least. The advice is to use complex passwords that are nearly impossible to guess and use different ones for every type of service. Password managers can keep all of that neatly organized. Strong passwords combined with multi-factor authentication can thwart most attempts at account takeovers. But Dane says to this day, he's still friends with that IT administrator and there were no hard feelings. We didn't have a lot of good outside information. And so he was a homegrown IT guy. And, you know, maybe if he was more classically trained, he would have had a different perspective and, and, and do what's right, not what he understood. If, you know, if, I don't know if that makes sense, but he did what he understood was best, not necessarily what was best. I'm sure the guy, I'm sure it crosses his mind regularly. But the administrator's poor password was far from the only IT security problem at United Structures of America. We had older operating systems. The entire company was based on a, a Windows 2003 operating system, which apparently had was, was, was not being serviced anymore by Microsoft. And as a result, hackers knew how to find it and knew how to uh, penetrate it. I looked at Microsoft's website and found that mainstream support for Windows Server 2003 ended 12 years ago. Microsoft did offer extended support through July 2015, but it did cost a lot of money. But after that month, Windows Server 2003, for most people, no longer received any security updates. That meant that organizations continuing to run it were at great risk. 
Dane says he now realizes how important it is to keep operating system up to date, even if the licensing costs are high. Keeping up to date your server and your your um, all your licenses, it, it's it, it can be very pricey, and you know depending on what you're doing as a company, you don't gain more function with that. But I realize now that you're gaining security, and uh, security is again is a function that you don't know you're 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 using day day in day out. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, United Structures of America eventually filed for bankruptcy. Ransomware can definitely be an existential threat to a company, but it can also be a catalyst, you know, just one of those other bad things in a string of bad things. And that's the role that ransomware played in this story. Dane wasn't happy at the company, despite it being the family business that he'd literally grown up around. Dane says the previous five years had been rough and the environment there just wasn't healthy. It just kind of exposed issues more. And, um, and I'm a clinical person, and so I just made the decision that, look, I, we've got to, I've got to make a decision, and I don't want to fight here anymore. Shortly after the attack, Dane decided to wind the company down. It fabricated its last building in November 2019. At that point, there were only about 15 employees. And when it ended, Dane was actually using a welding torch to finish the last building. The company didn't file for bankruptcy until early this year. Dane says he thought the company had been successfully shut down, but there were some unforeseen issues that forced it into bankruptcy. And some of those issues are still in court today. Dane now runs his own steel design business called DRD Designs. Many United Structures of America customers came back to him for more work after he moved on. He didn't lose relationships or friends. I'm in a lot better place than I was, though, for the you know, previous 10 years. So it sounds strange, but I'm working for myself and um, you know, I'm only me to blame or me to reward, if that makes sense, when things go well. So I'm in a much happier position where I'm not subject by the successes or failures of other people that I may be financially tied with. And so it's, it's, it's actually, I'm in a much better place now. It wasn't fun getting to this place. Um, but I think it made me wiser all the less. He's acutely aware now of the importance of information security. And Dane has been very public about what his business went through. So far, he's the only person or organization the Ransomware Files has spoken with who paid a ransom and explained the reasons why. Dane does this because he wants other organizations to be aware of the risks and how it can devastate a business how it's important to use current and maintained operating systems, how important it is to have backups and, as we heard, tests to ensure those backups are not just backing up to something that doesn't exist, how important it is to have good password hygiene. Information technology and how you protect that is, it's equal amongst all the priorities in a business. I mean, that is, that is the, the blood that runs through um, uh, the operation. And protecting that is just key. And I, and I didn't have that perspective until after it happened. You know, sometimes we have a hierarchy of departments. That that's that that is a, a faction of the of the business that runs through every department, and and um, and is absolutely essential um, yeah. from a security standpoint. Yeah. And there should be no compromise.
This episode of The Ransomware Files was written, researched, edited, and produced by me, Jeremy Kirk. The production coordinator is Rashi Ramesh. The Ransomware Files theme song and other original music in this episode is by Chris Gilbert of Ordinary Weirdos Records. If you enjoyed this episode of The Ransomware Files, please share it and leave a review. It will help keep this project going. The series has its own Twitter handle, at Ransomware Files, which tweets news and happenings about ransomware. I'm on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Kirk. If you'd like to participate in this project or have an idea for it, please get in touch. The project is looking for other people, organizations, and companies who can share their unique experiences for the benefit of all until ransomware hopefully becomes a thing of the past.